Thank you, Darren. Good morning, everyone. And thank you, Mike, for that. Uh, it's been good to get more of what you do. I mean, I knew what you did, but that, that's been really useful. Well, in a few minutes, we're going to read from Luke's Gospel, Chapter 2. I believe you're looking through Luke, and uh, it was thought that it would be a good idea not to take this passage and wait, as Darren indicated, a few months and deal with it at Christmas, but to look at it outside the Christmas um, context. And I think that's a great idea. I uh, have been running a, a camp in, um, well, for young people from Warwickshire for about 30 years. And we have a theme uh, each year. Sometimes it's just a general theme. We've had space. Um, we've had Hollywood. And on three occasions in the past 30 years, we've had Christmas as a theme for this young people's summer camp. And it's for this very reason that we have done this, that we've wanted to try and separate the incarnation, the nativity story, from Christmas and all the crud that attracts to, to Christmas. Uh, we did it this year, in fact. Um, the only difficulty is that uh, we encourage the young people to bring stuff that is associated with the theme, and we say, decorate your rooms with the theme. And so suddenly, um, we turn uh, the venue that we use into a Christmas winter wonderland in the middle of August. And so what we try and do, which is separating the uh, biblical narrative from Christmas, is suddenly there. And we, we have Santa, we have Secret Santa, we have Christmas trees, we have tinsel. So it doesn't quite work. But I don't notice a sprig of holly or mistletoe anywhere here in this room. Although I noticed one of the children had something like a... Um, it looked like a Christmas pudding or something, wasn't it? A, a soft toy that looked vaguely Christmassy. But it's, it's good to look at the, um, the incarnation separate from, from Christmas. Um, the, the birth of Jesus Christ splits time, doesn't it? B.C., A.D., or B.C.E., A.C.E. these days. But the coming of Jesus into the world is the fulcrum on which history swings. And nothing was ever the same again after the coming of Jesus into this world. In many ways. But primarily in the way that we as human beings get into a relationship with God. Things changed fundamentally with the Incarnation. Paul, when he was writing to the Christians in Rome, says this in Romans 1 verse 17, that now a righteousness from God has been revealed in the Gospel. Of course, Jesus Christ is the heart of the Gospel. God has done something by stepping into this world. Again, when Paul was writing to Timothy, um, he says that the mystery of godliness is great, he appeared in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. The coming of Jesus Christ into this world is a tremendous event. Um, we can't get away with it. And we do well to celebrate it well. We do well to understand it well. And frankly, it deserves far more than Christmas. If it is true that we are a visited planet... 
If it is true that God has come into this world and he has literally become one of us, if it is true that a saviour has come, which is this morning's title, then it's a message that needs declaring 365 days a year. And it needs far more than the trappings that we often give it at Christmas time. So let's read Luke chapter 2 and verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the, the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the, in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Isn't it strange, even after reading that, you feel now you ought to go into a Christmas carol, or children ought to come in with tea towels on their heads and things like that. Um, let me read you something else. In a land of myth and at a time of magic, the destiny of a great kingdom rests on the shoulders of a young man. Does that ring any bells with anyone? In a land of myth and at a time of magic, the destiny of a great kingdom rests on the shoulders of a young man. That was the introduction to the BBC Merlin series that finished about a year ago. It was staple viewing at um, Saturday evening tea time when Doctor Who wasn't on. Um, Merlin, um, the retelling of the Arthurian legend, was there. And uh, John Hurt, who voiced over a, a dragon, who was one of the characters, started every episode with that, in a land of myth and a time of magic. Because that is generally how legend stories start, isn't it? 
That's how fairy tales start. Once upon a time. Okay? Do you notice how Luke was very different to that? He, the way he starts his narrative is um, rooted in reality. In those days, Caesar Augustus, a real person, issued a decree that a censor should be taken of the entire Roman world. We're talking here about a real point in history. Something, of the ti- something on the timeline of the human race. These are verifiable facts that Luke is recording here. There may even be some who would have read Luke's narrative right at the very beginning, who said, oh, I remember that. Or my parents told me about that census that took place. And oh, what a mess it was. What Luke is saying here is something that is very real. As Peter says when he was writing years later, we have not followed cleverly devised stories. This isn't made up. The birth of Jesus is a genuine event. It's as genuine event as the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, as the Caesars that I mentioned here. It is a point in history. It is a date on the timeline of the world. This is something very real that we're dealing with here. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's good to take it away from Christmas. Because Christmas seems so full of balami, doesn't it? This is truth we're dealing with. And what Luke does, from painting that bigger picture of what's going on nationally, and it would have had international, in the sense of the Roman world, effects as well, he then quickly focuses on the domestic in really verses 4 to 7. And that handful of words that we have in verse 4 to 7 about the birth of Jesus and Joseph and Mary going from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I tell you, the stuff that we have created and shoehorned into those few verses. We've put a donkey in there. We've put an innkeeper in there. We've put a stable in there. In recent years, we have turned these into refugees on a hazardous journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. I'm sure it wasn't a... a, a jolly that they were on, but we've created all sorts of stuff around this simple narrative. Um, what does Luke say? He basically says that the birth of Jesus was a bit of a mess, really. And aren't most births a bit of a mess? I don't mean literally in the sense that they're messy, and I know they are from the end I've looked at as a father of two. <laughs> But everything that surrounds the birth is usually a bit messy. Things rarely go to plan, do they? At our house group uh, in my home church on Tuesday, we have a couple, uh, Colin and Betty, and on Tuesday they were very concerned because their son and daughter-in-law, who live in Canada, have just had the birth of their third child. Um, But the child was premature. And husband was away at work, Um, And he was 12 hours drive away. Canada is a vast country. And there were complications with the birth. And so she had to travel two and a half miles to the nearest hospital. 
and they've got two children. Who looks after these children? So they were telling us about the mess about this birth. It wasn't what was planned. There is something wonderfully human and ordinary about what we read here. This isn't what Mary and Joseph had planned, was it? This was messy, ordinary stuff that was going on here. They'd have probably wanted to stay in Bethlehem, but no, uh, in, in Nazareth, but no, they had to travel. And then, oh, it came at this time. Um, and the whole business, again, that we've added to it, it, if there's one thing I want to put into room 101, it's the carol, Away in a Manger. Away with Away in a Manger, that's what I say. Where it says, Little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Absolute villainy. Real rubbish. Here we have real mess, real humanity, the real birth. Because the physical birth of Jesus wasn't miraculous. There would have been tears here. Tears of pain, tears of joy. Um, it was a, a less than ideal location. Well, we hear fairly regularly of babies being born in less than ideal locations. I heard of a baby just a few months ago being born on the pavement just outside Primark in Birmingham. I'd have, I'd have chosen Marks and Spencers or something like that. But <laughs> um, we hear of babies being born in the back of taxis and helicopters and all sorts of places. The stuff of real life. That's what we have here. But then we move on in verses 8 to 14 to the more unusual, the more unusual. We have shepherds. We have angels. Now, in one sense, you could argue the same that, well, shepherds being on the scene, fairly common. Shepherds, it was an agricultural society. Most people probably worked in the land in one way or another, so... For shepherds to be around wouldn't be that unusual, but um, they were there and they visited. That was a bit strange. You may be aware that in that society, shepherds were considered to be outcasts. They were considered to be unclean. It is thought there was something a bit different about these particular shepherds that worked in Bethlehem. That these shepherds, uh, well, it was something different about the sheep, really. Because the sheep that they reared were special sheep that when they came to the right age and if they were still in the right condition they would be taken down the road to Jerusalem and used in temple worship and sacrifice to God. Now if that is true these shepherds who were tending these sheep due for sacrifice at the temple were very soon to see the Lamb of God who is going to take away the sin of the world. But, whatever the case, the first outsiders to hear of the birth of Jesus were themselves outsiders. And that says something about the reason why Jesus Christ came and the people for whom he came. But then we have the angels. And this is where it gets very unusual indeed. In verse 11, we have an angel. And then in verse 13, a great company of angels. The single angel came in verse 11 with a message. But the angel said to them, 
Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. His message was good news. Good news. Now, generally, those who would have known their Old Testament knew that very often when an angel came, they were a harbinger of bad news. It was a sign of God's wrath, a sign of God's judgment. Something bad was about to happen. So no wonder the first thing this angel said was, hang on, I'm not on that mission today. I've got good news for you. A saviour has been born. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Now, anyone who's a preacher will know, wow, there are three points there in one verse. Great, there's a whole new sermon there. I'm not going to go down that road. But what the angel says is this. Look, this one that has been born is very special indeed. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And no wonder when the angel began to explain that to the shepherds, the enormity of what was taking place had an effect not just on the shepherds, but on another world as well. And so then we read of the other angels joining in. And they say, glory to God, you humans are a favored generation. When you think of what God could do with this world, what he could send to this planet, the fact that he has sent a savior, the fact that he has sent the Messiah, the fact that he has sent the Lord, is wonderful. This is the one that people have been hoping and longing for. This is the one that God spoke about through his prophets thousands of years before. Here is the desire of nations. No wonder they couldn't help but bursting into this majestic song, glory to God in the highest, and on the earth peace, and to those on whom his favor rests. And I know it says that they didn't sing. I know there are some people that say, you never hear of angels singing. Well, if they said this, it must have sounded like the best song that you've ever heard. And what was the shepherd's response? Well, that's really verses 15 to 20. What was their response? They said, let's go. They hurried off. They found the child. They saw the child. They spread the word. They returned. Again, th there's a, another sermon there of the response of individuals when they hear some news. What was their response? It was basically one of joy. It was basically one of enthusiasm. It was one of obedience. They did what the Lord had told them to do. Basically, it shows us that good news deserves to be spread. That when you hear this sort of information, you don't keep it to yourselves. Others deserve to hear it as well. I mentioned a few moments ago about this couple in our own fellowship, Colin and Betty, and um, they had uh, news of this premature birth of a grandchild. What I didn't tell you was actually there were complications around the birth of this little girl. And on Tuesday night, they were very concerned whether the child would indeed live she had been starved of oxygen at birth, and uh, they were worried about whether there was any brain function at all. And so we were praying as a church, we were praying as a house group. 
And then on Wednesday evening, <coughs> excuse me, on Wednesday evening, my phone rang, and he said, it's Colin here. I said, hi, Colin, how are you? He goes, it's good news, he said, that we, the baby's going to be all right, and the mother's going to be all right. And I thought I'd ring you, and I'm ringing everybody else in the house fellowship, and I'm ringing everybody else in the church who I knew was interested and was praying for us. That's what you do with good news, isn't it? You want to spread it. You want others to hear. He also said that her name's going to be Scarlet. I suppose I'll get used to that, he said. But good news deserves spreading. And what an example we see here with the shepherds. You see, Israel itself, the nation, was creaking under the Roman yoke. It was being destroyed by a religious tyranny. This was really the dark ages for the people of God. And so into this situation came the good news of a saviour being born. And we've heard with what we've heard from the Gloucester City Mission, and we know of individuals who perhaps practically have got everything together, but their lives uh, are devastated. The burdens that they carry, people are lost, people are helpless, people are in despair. They need to hear this good news that a saviour has come. Light can dawn in their lives as well. No wonder the angels were so excited. No wonder the shepherds responded like they did. So here we have the Christmas story. The true Christmas story. No Santa, no donkey, no stable. Yes, there were shepherds. Yes, there were angels. Yes, there was a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. The saviour of the world had come. And things have never been the same since. Now that's a reason to sing. That's a reason to rejoice. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. And Lord, never let us get over the wonderful fact that you have shown yourself to us in this way through your son, Jesus. Help us to realize the significance of that event. Help us to live in the good of it. Help us to be those who want to spread this good news, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.